This episode is powered by ActNow Education. Go to www.actnoweducation.com for free comprehensive educational resources and opportunities for active duty, veterans, military spouses, and children. The views and opinions expressed by this episode's guests do not necessarily reflect the views or position of the Department of Defense, Department of Army, National Guard, or Commonwealth of Massachusetts. They are his own views and opinions alone. And I said, sir, with all due respect, and I was standing in position of attention because I'm addressing my company commander. I said, listen, sir, uh, you know, we in the military have a, have a military uniform. I'm a Sikh warrior and I have my own uniform, which includes my articles of faith. And uh, throughout history, Sikhs have died when people try to force us to cut our hair and, and shave and remove our articles of faith. And we would not do that. And I'm really uh, proud of our heritage. And that's something that I would uh, want to keep uh, as long as I'm serving in the military. And I would not be willing to uh, cut my hair and shave. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm going to be co-hosting this episode of The Morning Formation with Avi. Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. We're joined today with a U.S. Army Signal Corps commissioned officer. But unlike many military officers, our guest today is unique. When our guest today is donning the United States Army uniform, some have to do a double take because most serving in the military are clean-shaven, wearing their issued headgear. But unlike most, our guest today, First Lieutenant Kanwar Singh, is a devout Sikh, loves America, sports a full beard with long hair neatly tucked under his turban. In 2011, First Lieutenant Singh attended a speech where Senator John McCain encouraged attendees to serve their country through the military. Shortly thereafter, First Lieutenant Singh took the ASVAB, scored within his top 1%, and sought to somehow join the United States Army without breaking his deep religious belief in Sikhism. In today's episode, we're going to learn more about First Lieutenant Singh, his journey, which ended up challenging a policy that was held in place since 1981 against honoring his religious accommodation. Thank you for joining us today, First Lieutenant Singh. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, KP and Avi. The honor is all ours, and we're going to start out today with learning a little bit more about you. Can you tell us where you're from, and can you describe what your childhood was like? Absolutely. Uh, Look, I was actually born overseas, uh, and I immigrated to the U.S. at the age of 17. I lived in Virginia uh, shortly uh, thereafter, uh, did my undergrad there, and then also um, worked for a few years. I realized that I did not like living in a small city in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so I sought out uh, greater pastures by moving to Boston, Massachusetts. And then as you mentioned, uh, in spring of 2014, I heard a speech uh, by Senator John McCain, who came to my grad school and talked about his service uh, to our nation and his time as a POW. And um, and he encouraged everyone in the audience uh, to consider serving. And then right around that time was also the first anniversary uh, of the Boston bombings. Uh, and then I knew the National Guard had played a pivotal role uh, in the aftermath uh, of the Boston Marathon bombings. Um, so I was inspired and moved and called to action, and I uh, decided to join uh, the military. Uh, you know, growing up uh, in, in Asia, in South Asia specifically, uh, I um, uh, certainly knew about the Sikh military history. Uh, Sikhs are warriors. Uh, throughout our history, we were persecuted. Uh, there had been multiple genocides against us. Uh, and so our gurus uh, encouraged us uh, to pick up arms so we could defend ourselves and those around us. So that was on, always in the back of my mind. Um, and then after I immigrated to the U.S., uh, I certainly remembered that and I wanted to continue uh, my family history uh, of military service. 
Yes, I understand that six-hold military service is a very high priority and that your family in India also served in the British military. And prior to 2011, had you ever imagined yourself joining the military? And what did your family think about your decision overall when you told them what you planned to do? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, I had actually considered joining the military uh, even in 2007 when I first came to the country. Uh, And so there was an ROTC program on campus. uh, And and I had some very initial conversations with the folks there, but I knew that I have to give up on my my religious beliefs uh, for me to join uh, the program. And so that's why I didn't think much about it. Uh, And so it was only about uh, seven years later in 2014 uh, is when I started rethinking uh, that desire to serve. I must mention uh, there was a pivotal moment that happened uh, in 2012 uh, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Uh, there was actually sadly an attack uh, on the Sikh community there. Uh, a, a white supremacist had actually attacked our place of worship. Uh, and that actually was a, a, a wake-up moment uh, for a lot of Sikhs uh, in, in America, including myself, by the way, uh, because, uh, you know, obviously, for something like that to happen, where someone came in and attacked a peace-loving Sikh community, and their, you know, their excuse was, well, well, somehow we are affiliated with Al Qaeda and Taliban and 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 other groups, um, you know, and so I think a lot of Sikhs uh, felt that call to action. Now, not to say, you know, Sikhs have been actually on the receiving end, sadly, of hate crimes ever since 9/11 happened. In fact, as we're coming towards um, the 20th uh, anniversary of 9/11. Um, you know, a few days after, one of the first Americans to die was actually uh, a Sikh American uh, who was misunderstood. And, and, and so uh, Balbir Singh Sodi actually in Arizona uh, was shot dead uh, because of the way he looked. Um, so it was really critical and important um, for me as a Sikh American uh, after uh, Oak Creek, uh, Wisconsin uh, attack. And then also what I heard from Senator John McCain and the Boston Marathon bombings to do my part um, so I could serve uh, in our nation's uh, military. Uh, my family, uh, you know, was, I think they were not opposed to me joining the military, obviously, because they, they uh, were very supportive uh, of continuing the military history and the legacy that we have as Sikh warriors. I think their bigger concern was the fact that uh, I ended up having to sadly file a lawsuit uh, to join uh, because we were trying diplomatic ways and means to join and you know, working with members of Congress. And we had bipartisan support, by the way. You mentioned uh, Senator John McCain, who I'll be forever uh, grateful for. His staff and his office was supporting me uh, with working with Pentagon to get me a religious accommodation. And so were uh, my congressional delegation, by the way, uh, in Massachusetts, uh, Senator uh, Ed Markey and Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, and my uh, representative, uh, Mike Capiano. So all these, you know, members of Congress, uh, along with a bunch of others that I have not named, were very supportive uh, of the Sikh uh, service and, and, and the rights and, and uh, freedoms for other uh, service members of different religious beliefs um, to be able to serve. Uh, and actually, Sikhs have served uh, in the U.S. military for over 100 years, by the way. Uh, one of the first Sikhs to serve uh, was a gentleman by the name of Bhagat Singh Thind, who fought uh, wearing his turban and beard and long hair in World War I uh, over 100 years ago. Wow. And so, as you mentioned, the policy changed in 1981, and that made it harder for new Sikhs uh, to be able to join uh, with their articles of faith. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. Uh- I, a lot of people probably don't even realize that, that all the way back to, you know, that that time era, there were six that served in the United States military. And from my understanding, you enlisted in the National Guard in 2015? 
That is correct. Yes. It's funny because I actually initially wanted to join the Air National Guard and I called the uh, Air National Guard recruiter and we had a very pleasant conversation until he found out that I was a Sikh and I was going to need a religious accommodation. And so I basically got ghosted. <laughs> Never got a phone call back from the guy. <laughs> he left you on he left you on red, huh? Yes, I, I was left on red. <laughs> so, Kanwar, before we continue here, can you just explain to the audience what types of religious accommodations had to be made? Right, absolutely. Look, as six, uh, we believe God's creation is perfect, and we believe uh, hair is gift from God. And that's why we don't cut our hair or shave. Uh, we also keep our hair covered by wearing turban, um, again, to show respect to God. And so as far as the Articles of Faith, uh, we were requesting uh, the Pentagon to allow me to keep uh, an unshorn beard and unshorn hair and be able to wear my, my turban uh, in uniform. Uh, we also have other Articles of Faith. Uh, for example, uh, you can see my kara, uh, which is uh, an Article of Faith, a steel bracelet that I wear on my right arm. Uh, we also have um, uh, kanga, which keeps our hair clean, which is a small wooden comb that I keep in my hair. Uh, I also wear a kachara, which are uh, underpants uh, to control your carnal desires. And then finally, uh, the fifth article of faith is a kirpan. It's a small uh, sword to keep yourself uh, and others uh, protected and, and safe around you. But I think the Pentagon had the bigger issues with the uh, the hair and the beard and the turban. <laughs> they were okay with the other ones, uh, but I think uh, they had obviously issues with those the, with the other ones. So. So Lieutenant Singh, um, you enlisted in the National Guard in 2014, and you scored extremely high on the ASVAB, which isn't a huge surprise, seeing that you already had a, a business undergrad from Virginia Commonwealth University, and you were at the time enrolled at Harvard University. What steps did you take after the ASVAB? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, first off, uh, you know, scoring high on the ASVAB in graduate school, uh, it's not a good comparison, right, because it's primarily for high school students. And so uh, I uh, worked with my recruiter after uh, the initial, initial enlistment uh, process uh, to request a religious accommodation. Um, and, and it took us uh, over a year uh, for me to be able to even enlist uh, in the uh, Massachusetts National Guard. And in the meantime, I was working uh, with members of Congress. Uh, you certainly mentioned Senator John McCain. And then I also had my congressional delegation in, in, in Massachusetts, uh, Senator Ed Markey and, and, and Senator Elizabeth Warren and, um, and Representative Mike Capuano and a whole bunch of other people, uh, bipartisan support to ask a simple question, right? The Pentagon, why is it that six uh, could not serve uh, in, in the military? Um, so the challenge was, uh, you know, the Pentagon was figuring this out. And, uh, but even after, you know, they, let's say, allow me to enlist, the question was, well, what would the Pentagon do? Because uh, then they could order me to cut my hair and shave uh, after I signed the dotted line. And I knew I would not do that. Uh, but there was no process to request a religious accommodation uh, under uh, AR 670-1, which defines the grooming uh, standards uh, for those of us uh, in the army. So it was a it was a big uh, bet that I was making. And, and luckily, I had other options, right? So I knew if this religious accommodation did not work out, I would probably leave the army and uh, find other base. And, and this is also one reason I joined the National Guard, because I could not have you know, taken the risk of joining active duty, because then you know, that's your career, that's your job. And uh, it would be a lot more painful at that point to try to separate uh, from the military. Um, so it took me a year after uh, going through the initial process. I finally enlisted in August 2015. 
And then uh, I uh, was segregated from my unit. Uh, so after I enlisted, they said, hey, we cannot have you show up for your um, drill weekends uh, with the rest of the uh, enlistees who were preparing to go for basic training because you look different. And it felt uh, pretty bad, actually, at the time, having been segregated and separated. So I would come in in the middle of the week and shred paper um, in an office because they had no idea what to do with me. Right. Um, and, and so I uh, did that for about nine months or so. And uh, then there was a meeting that I got pulled into with my commander at the time uh, in April of uh, 2016, which was, by the way, a month before I was supposed to ship off for basic training. And uh, the, co the commander really, you know, an incredible person who I respect. And he said, listen, specialist Singh, because I had enlisted as a specialist. I had a college degree. Uh, he said, I know the answer to this question, uh, but I've been asked to ask you this question, which is, would you be willing to cut your hair and shave so we can send you to basic training? And I said, sir, with all due respect, and I was standing in position of attention because I'm addressing my company commander. I said, listen, sir, uh, you know, we in the military have a, have a military uniform. I'm a Sikh warrior and I have my own uniform, which includes my articles of faith. And uh, throughout history, Sikhs have died when people try to force us to cut our hair and, and shave and remove our articles of faith. And we would not do that. And I'm really uh, proud of our heritage. And that's something that I would uh, want to keep uh, as long as I'm serving in the military. And I would not be willing to uh, cut my hair and shave. So then I had, by that time, assembled a, a, a legal and policy team. And then I let them know what had happened. And they uh, asked me to visit them. And then I visited them a few days later. And then the mil we had to end up, you know, fight, sadly filing a lawsuit because that was the only option left uh, or else I could have been ordered to cut my hair and shave and that would be violating uh, my religious beliefs. Great story there, Kanwar. I really admire how even though you had all of these different challenges, you were still able to both enlist in the military and have your accommodations met. Right. And when you were accepted into the officer candidate school, otherwise known as OCS, did the National Guard again ask you to heed the grooming standards? And what did you do to maintain your religious dignity? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So first off, I uh, never had to uh, give up on my religious beliefs. Uh, so what had happened is after we filed the lawsuit, uh, within two weeks, uh, the army actually backtracked uh, and issued me a religious accommodation, which was an interim religious accommodation. Uh, I got an email uh, actually, I got a voicemail message uh, and I was working at the time. I was teaching class. Uh, and so I did not take that phone call, but I got the voicemail message and I listened to it afterwards. It was actually from my lawyer. Uh, and she said, hey, congrats, Convoy. Your religious accommodation has been issued. Uh, make sure you're preparing for basic training. And uh, that was the best news ever, right? Because I did not think that would be uh, possible. Um, and I was so grateful and happy. But that's when it... Uh, you know, hit me that, oh my gosh, I'm going to basic training next month. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, <laughs> and so right around that time, actually, I was uh, uh, about to graduate. I, I, I was working on two master's degrees at the time. Um, so things were really busy school-wise and, and career-wise. Uh, but then obviously, being the National Guard, we have to transition uh, from civilian life to military life. I probably was not very prepared to be very candid for basic training, but I went through basic training. I, I uh, did okay in there. And then I came back and then um, I, I was then sent to officer candidate school. Uh, the good thing is uh, my religious accommodation uh, was made permanent uh, in January of 2017. And um, so that allowed me to attend OCS uh, and my future uh, army positions uh, without having to give up on my uh, sincerely held religious beliefs. So 
what type of backlash, prejudice, or negativity have you received since making your decision to join the United States military? What was basic training like for you and how was officer training? Yeah, look, I was treated just like any other soldier. So I was smoked just like everyone else. Uh, I, I was one of the team, right? That's uh, what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I have to admit, uh, you know, basic training was rough. OCS was rough because, uh, you know, they really wanted to ensure that all of us earned the title of soldier and then afterwards officer, right? I, I wish I had done the ROTC program or I had gone through federal OCS, uh, which are considered, um, you know, softer and lighter and they don't smoke you as much, right? Or, or smoking is not the right term, uh, corrective training, right? Uh, they don't give you as much corrective training. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I remember showing up for basic training and again, I had no idea what to expect, right? So I'm showing up and I like to sleep a lot, right? I get to, I like to get it. Eight, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep a night. And I show up, I'm like, when are they going to let us sleep? And I'm there and I'm hallucinating. And I'm like, what the heck, man? I haven't slept and I'm falling asleep, standing in line in chow formation. And I mean, it was bad, right? I mean, I was sick, uh, you know, during the first three weeks of red phase uh, in basic training, just because, you know, there were germs everywhere and we were all like, you know, stressed and uh, sleep deprived. I had never seen anything like that. Uh, and I must confess, uh, you know, it, 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 there were moments during basic training or OCS uh, when I wanted to quit, uh, right? Uh, and there were certainly people who around me who quit. Uh, you could simply, you know, ring the bell uh, or you can just raise your hand and say, hey, I do not want to do this. And then all of that sleep deprivation and um, the, the physical uh, pain would stop, right? Uh, but I realized that, hey, as a Sikh warrior, uh, this is what I signed up for. And as a Sikh warrior, we don't quit. Um, so when it came to my graduation ceremony, both from basic training uh, and also officer candidates uh, school, I was emotional on both days uh, because I knew how hard I had to work to get to those points. Right. Uh, you know, basic training, I remember I, I, I'm thinking, man, it took me two years just to get here. Right. Uh, whereas for other recruits, it may have been just a matter of a few weeks uh, between when they signed the dotted line and when they actually were able to complete basic training. Same thing in officer candidate school. Um, I think we started with 35 uh, officer candidate uh, officer candidates uh, in our program. And I think 17 of us commissioned. And, and they were some, by the way, we had a bronze star recipient uh, in our class, uh, by the way, who quit OCS. And I'm like, man, if guys like these who are combat veterans uh, are quitting, I mean, what's going to happen to me? Uh, but luckily, we had a good support system in our class and we looked out for each other. When I was down, someone tried to cheer me up. If they were down, I tried to cheer them up. I mean, it was teamwork, right? Uh, and personally, I was committed because I knew uh, how hard I had to personally work to get to that point. And I was going to be the last person to quit. I mean, they would have tried their hardest and I still would not have given up because that's how much I wanted uh, to commission and, and become an officer. So I also want to ask you this. So where did you go to basic training? I was at uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina in okay. summer of 2016. I have never been so hard in my life before. <laughs> so did you, so did you, did, did they have mulch pits or, or, or sand pits? Um, on the, on the firing range? No, for the, uh, for the smoke sessions. Oh, the smoke sessions. I mean, um, I'm not sure like how they did it, you know, back in the day, but for us, they would just make us do push-ups. Like I remember day three after process, you know, all the in-processing stuff happened. I mean, we had like multiple heat casualties. People were falling. 
And then I was scared of the drill sergeant, but I'm like, hey, my battle buddy just passed out. So I'm running there to drill sergeant, trying to stand at parade, you know, rest and trying to ask them, hey, drill sergeant, my buddy just collapsed. We need medical attention. And I thought they were going to, you know, smoke me uh, for coming and, you know, not doing pushups at that time. But I'm like, man, this guy, this guy's going to die if I don't get him some medical help. So <laughs> I remember uh, for me in basic training, I went to Fort Leonard Wood and uh, they had a big mulch pit behind our barracks. And I remember one time they they're like, all right, the privates today, we're going to make granola bars. And they told us that at the beginning of the day. And by the end of the day, we had a long day at the range. It was sweaty, hot, you know, retired. Yeah. They're like, all right, privates, it's time to make granola bars. And so they <laughs> took us, they took us into this room, made us like PT, do push-ups and jumping jacks and everything else. And then they opened up these doors that went to the to the back of the barracks where that mulch pit was. And they were like, All right, get in the mulch pit and roll around. And <laughs> we rolled around and the, the mulch would stick to you. And yes. so they were making granola bars. <laughs> it was that's it was, hilarious but it was it was so it was it it was like oh this sucks but it was so funny like i was laughing while i was like rolling around because like these guys these guys are something else but well see that's the thing right i mean i i agree with you and it's it, it is funny while you're in the moment but then you're like why are they doing to to us and then you see the next class come in so you know by the time you get to green phase or whatever i mean you're in the red phase you see the other class coming in and you know what i mean these are games right they're trying to that allowed the weak people, which actually makes sense because we are the military. I mean, you, you want the strongest people mentally and physically um, to com- complete these trainings. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was funny uh, in hindsight, uh, but in that moment, you're like, why are you, why is this happening? I mean, especially for me, I mean, who was not mentally ready uh, for that kind of situation? <laughs> right. Now, Kanwar, just want to say before this next question, every step of the journey that you've detailed to us so far has been a true testament to every inhibition obstacle and problem you've had to overcome just to serve america's military and despite immigrating to america and having your religious accommodations turned down after so many so many attempts it is truly an inspiration to see how dedicated you were to serving the country despite all of these problems and personally i'm in a tough situation here as well because i am missing fingers on my left hand I'm West Indian and there are a couple other factors as well that are all pushing me away from trying to get into the Air Force, but you were truly inspiring to me to help follow through with that ambition. So awesome anecdotes. But for any of the listeners out there who are not familiar with Sikhism, where does the religion originate? What are the basic beliefs? And can you talk about some of the additional points that many of us may not understand or be knowledgeable of? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. First off, uh, Avi. I would encourage you to keep doing going down this path uh, of trying to serve. I, I know uh, the military can be pretty rough uh, when it comes to you know medical waivers and, and and things like that. But you know if you keep trying, if you're passionate about uh, the path, and this is for anything in life, not just military, by the way. You know uh, if you want something in life, go get it. I had never done a marathon uh, in my life before. And then 2018 uh, came around and there was an opportunity to be part of the Boston Marathon. And I'm like, hey, what? I'm going to do this. Uh, and it, I was in a lot of pain afterwards. <laughs> but uh, if you are if you commit to something and you're passionate about it, you make it happen, right? Um, but to answer your other question, Avi, uh, you know, Sikhism originated in South Asia, uh, what's present day, uh, you know, Pakistan, India region. Uh, it used to be one region uh, before it got split. 
Uh, and so our founder, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, uh, had a very simple mission in life. Uh, his goal was to bring people together, um, to eliminate hate uh, in our society, uh, to get rid of the caste system that existed, uh, to get rid of the discrimination that existed in society where women uh, didn't get equal rights as men. And so he spoke out uh, against a lot of societal inequities. Uh, and him and subsequent Sikh gurus also put in place a practice of langar, where anyone can go to a Sikh place of worship, uh, Gurdwara, and they can get a free meal, no question asked. Uh, and that was one way of uh, bringing about uh, societal justice and equality uh, by just ensuring that everyone, regardless of your race, ethnicity, religion, color, gender, socioeconomic status, you could simply sit down at any point at a sick place of worship and eat, right? Um, so that was a very novel concept uh, at the time and still is actually. Uh, and, and so six, we believe in equality of all people and, and giving back and serving um, during our course of history. Uh, we were also persecuted uh, for our practicing our faith. And that's where this, uh, our gurus, our leaders encouraged us to uh, become warriors and uh, learn martial arts and, and be able to defend ourselves and defend others around us. And so we've had a long history of military service, uh, not just in South Asia, but there's six who are serving in obviously the US military and in Britain and Canada and France and Australia, New Zealand. I mean, wherever six are, uh, we serve uh, in overwhelming numbers uh, so we can uh, be part of the nation's uh, military and then be able to serve and defend uh, our governments. Again, truly inspiring words and really showcases your dedication to both your religion and your goals. So amazing balance there. Now, are you aware of any other current six serving in the United States military? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, there are. So one of the things that I'm most grateful for and in and, 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 and this process, this fight to get religious accommodation was never about me. Um, I knew that if the military could discriminate against six, you know, six and other religious minorities could not get jobs with, let's say, your local police and fire departments. Um, the military is the largest employer uh, in our nation. And then the other aspect is, uh, if the military can discriminate, other employers can do the same, right? And then the military is such a well-respected institution in our nation. If I can't serve and be part of uh, our nation's military, um, you know, other Americans may consider me as a threat, right? And that, you know, was part of the problem. And I think still is why we see so many hate crimes against the Sikh community, um, even to this day, because we are so misunderstood uh, in America. But it's... There are hundreds of Sikhs who are serving today uh, in the Army and Air Force with their articles of faith. Now, there's other Sikhs who serve in other branches, uh, but perhaps they don't have a process to get a religious accommodation. Uh, but I'm confident in the future, we'll probably see Sikhs in the Navy and in the Space Force and uh, Marine Corps uh, and the Coast Guard as well. Um, but what's happened is the Army and the Air Force, uh, after my case happened, they looked at the religious accommodation process uh, in, in, in total. And then they said, hey, why is it that we have uh, a policy and process that prevents not just Sikhs, but other religious uh, groups from also serving? Uh, and so there are you know, thousands, if not more, of service members, by the way, uh, who are of not just Sikh, but uh, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, pagan, 
uh, and other religious beliefs that can now request a religious accommodation. Uh, some of them only grow beards. Uh, some of them keep long hair. There was a woman at basic training uh, who was crying. And I, I, I went up to her and I said, hey, why are you crying? And she's like, listen, I'm a practicing Baptist and we don't cut our hair. One of the first things that they did to me when I go out here was they cut my, they chopped my hair. And so I, I explained to her how she could request a religious accommodation. And I, I haven't stayed in touch with her, but I, I hope uh, that she has now been able to work with her chain of command and her chaplain to get a religious accommodation so, so she can have long hair um, in uniform. And, and that was the whole thing is if we can serve and we can meet our military's high standard, why is it that we have these antiquated uh, grooming policies that don't impact the mission? Right. And that's what uh, we encourage the military to think about. One of the you know, common you know, uh, frustration or I guess the military's uh, you know, comeback would be, oh, well, the gas masks don't work with beards. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I've gone through the gas chamber multiple chi- times with my standard uh, M50 gas mask. I have never had an issue uh, getting a perfect seal. And every other sick soldier that I know who's gone through the gas chamber has never had any issues whatsoever uh, with getting a perfect seal. So if there's no, and by the way, growing a beard does not prevent your ability, it doesn't prevent you from shooting or running or uh, doing other things that the military requires. So that's why I think it's kind of tough uh, for that argument that, you know, we should just do things the way we've been doing it. Uh, and I, I try to, uh, you know, remind folks uh, that you have to change with the times. And, and by the way, Today, uh, there are thousands of additional folks with religious backgrounds uh, of all different backgrounds who are now serving in our military, perhaps who would not have served had it not been for uh, religious accommodations that allowed them to practice their faith without having to uh, give up on them and still uh, serve the, the country that we all love. So LT, I want to ask you, what advice would you have for someone else out there interested in joining the military for both someone who thinks it might not be for them? or another young professional sick thinking of following in your footsteps. Or yeah. even if it's someone like me who's trying to get into a branch of the military, but is just is facing obstacles left, right, and center. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, first off, uh, I, I admire anyone uh, who wants to uh, serve in our military, right? It's not an easy job. Uh, as we are finding out uh, with the events that have happened recently, uh, in the Middle East, uh, you know, it's a dangerous job. And, and when each one of us signs the dotted line, uh, we accept that risk. And, and the way I like to put it is each service member writes a blank check to the United States that includes giving up everything, including their life, right? And, and I'm going to take a pause to uh, honor and remember uh, the 13 service members that just died uh, in Kabul and uh, the Marines. Uh, and then we had a soldier and, and a Navy corpsman uh, for their uh, sacrifices and honorable service to our nation. Uh, we are free. We are the land of the free because of our military veterans. Uh, to include KP, uh, who served honorably uh, in the military uh, before launching this podcast series. So uh, that's why I think everyone should know uh, what they're getting themselves in. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people. I'll share this quick, funny story. Uh, day one of basic training, and this guy, uh, when as you're being asked to push up, you know, do push-ups, he, he stands up and he's like, I'm not doing this anymore because this is not like Call of Duty. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm like, man, just come down and do push-ups because if you stand and you stop doing push-ups, they're going to make us do more push-ups. So I was mad at him. But again, I, I just started laughing in that moment. I'm like, man, what did you think? I mean, did, did you actually think this is going to be like Call of Duty? Uh, you know, <laughs> you'll be playing video games all day long. 
but people should know why they're joining and, and make sure they're joined for the right reasons. Uh, and it's going to be hard work. I mean, it's going to be stressful. The training is tough uh, for a reason. And I think it should be tough uh, just so that, you know, we have uh, people who know what they're signing up for and can can, can live through uh, the stress uh, if we are put in a stressful situation. But keep at it. Uh, you know, if this is something you're passionate about, I, I, I do not regret the decision um, to join the military. I have had, uh, I've received fabulous leadership training uh, through the military uh, and the ability to meet people from around the world. Uh, and, um, you know, I've learned so much uh, just by being in the military that I think a lot of my friends uh, who, who haven't served haven't had those experiences. Um, so there, there's a lot of, you know, uh, benefits you get from the military and, and, and appreciation that you get from being part of the military, but you got to do it for the right reasons. Most definitely agree. And I, I definitely also cherish and, and respect anyone willing to step up and sign on that, on the dotted line to serve our country, because it's not an easy thing to do. So what are your ultimate goals? Do you plan to retire from the military or do you plan to go to active duty? Would you mind sharing some of those goals? Yeah, well, actually, I do not know at this point. Uh, I really like my job as a signal officer uh, in the Massachusetts Army National Guard. I'm also on the innovation team, so I can help out uh, with some innovation initiatives and technology modernization efforts uh, within uh, the Army. Uh, and uh, I, I love, um, you know, leading soldiers. Um, and, and so, um, you know, if I was younger, uh, I'm in my early 30s, but maybe if I was younger, absolutely, I would have gone active duty. Um, you know, it's kind of tough uh, when you're settled in and, and you have another civilian job. And uh, but I, I, I that's what I love about, you know, being in the National Guard uh, and also for those who are in the reserves, because they can actually have civilian careers um, in addition to, um, you know, being in, 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 the, in the military. It's tough because you got to juggle them. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of value and benefit uh, in being able to have a civilian job as well as a military career, if that's what you choose to do. Definitely. Now, Kanwar, you're describing something that I plan on doing on in the Air Force, modernization of technology. Do mm -hmm. you work on the physical technologies in addition to software or what is your area of expertise? Yeah, my area of expertise is primarily software, uh, although I have been getting interested in hardware recently, and but I'm not a subject matter expert. Uh, but I, I'm certainly fascinated uh, with uh, how we can let better leverage technology to meet our uh, military objectives, right? You know, COVID-19 is a great example. Uh, uh, you know, our military was activated. Uh, you know, a lot of units within the National Guard specifically, uh, those of uh, the folks who were uh, medics and, and doctors and nurses uh, were called in for active duty and, and, and still are some actually. Some of them are still doing uh, state active uh, duty or, or federal active duty um, to help with the COVID-19 mission. But how can we leverage technology uh, and, and data to better facilitate our mission, right? Um, and then the same also applies for, um, you know, potential combat uh, missions. Um, uh, and, 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 and look, uh, I think this is a struggle and I'm not sharing anything that's uh, classified because this is well known uh, within the military. Uh, you know, we're sort of falling behind uh, our adversaries, especially the near peer threats uh, that exist. And I think this is why there's this massive uh, race right now to get better with cybersecurity and artificial intelligence um, so we can keep up. Because qu quite frankly, and this is my opinion and take it for what it's worth, I mean, I'm not convinced if, you know, the next big war um, is going to be fought, you know, uh, like the previous wars we've had. There's going to be a huge cyber aspect to it. Uh, there's going to be a huge AI aspect to it. Um, so I think the more we can train 
and better understand that and, and advance ourselves uh, in those domains, uh, the better protected and defended we would be. So. Definitely. Now, Kanwar, I definitely have to connect with you just to follow you on your journey. Now, mm -hmm. for anyone out there who also wants to connect with you and follow you, where can they reach out to you? What platforms are you on? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they can reach out to me uh, on Instagram. Uh, I'm certainly uh, on there. Uh, you can look me up, Kanwar Singh. Uh, my username is Kanwar91. And I'm also, uh, lately, I've I joined TikTok. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's been a fun ride. Uh, I, I like the community there. Uh, I don't do it uh, on official orders or official military status, uh, right? Because we know uh, the DOD actually has banned TikTok, but I do it in my personal capacity. Uh, and, and my uh, handle uh, over there is uh, sick soldier. Um, so folks can reach out. Uh, I've had you know dozens of people who've reached out to me over the past few months. Uh, and I, I like uh, helping people and answering questions that they may have about the military. Uh, you know, if they're trying to join or uh, get religious accommodations or uh, be able to you know go through any challenges they have. So I love connecting. So feel free to reach out and I'm happy to connect. Lieutenant, I want to tell you, thank you for giving us your time today. And I want to congratulate you as well. I know you just recently achieved your MS in information technology, right? Right. Absolutely. Congratulations on that, on that huge thank achievement. You. And for anyone listening out there, I'll make sure that I put all of his contacts down in the show notes as well. If you would like to connect with him, um, you're certainly an inspiration. I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful that you agreed to come onto the show as well. But before we end, as your final summary, or do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with everyone listening? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, um, you know, whatever you're doing in life, uh, it's easy to quit uh, and it's easy to give up. And, you know, times get tough. I, I know a lot of people are struggling right now, uh, especially during this pandemic and um, a lot of our veterans are also struggling with the events that have recently happened. Um, you know, there are things, there's some things we can control and there's some things that we cannot control. Uh, I like to think a lot about um, uh, Sikh warriors. And so there's a battle of Saragori that happened in 1897. But uh, this battle happened 21-6. Uh, uh, they were manning a uh, signaling fort uh, in, in the area of Saragori, which is on the border of present-day Pakistan and Afghanistan area. And um, it was a very critical post uh, for the defense uh, of the British forces in that region. And they were surrounded uh, by 10,000 Afghan tribesmen. Just imagine being in that situation, right? There's 21 of you and you have no reinforcements, you have limited ammo, and you have 10,000 Afghan tribesmen coming towards you, right? And then they make offers to you to quit, to, you know, to give you bribes or to give you the ability to peacefully walk out and leave your post. But these 21-6 uh, did not surrender. They did not quit. They said, we're going to fight until the end if we have to, right? And then that day, these 21-6, they ended up killing 600 Afghan tribesmen. Think about that. And not only that, when they ran out of ammo, uh, they pulled out their kirpans, which is one of the articles of faith. And they got into hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, with these uh, Afghan tribesmen. Wow. And so. The last person uh, who was on the radio, he requested his colonel to give up on the radio on, on the signaling communication and be able to fight because he did not want to be you know, captured. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to die, but I'm requesting permission uh, so I can kill some of these people. Right. So in that moment, these 21 Sikhs could have had a lot of things going on. Right. And they may have just said, hey, this is too hard and quit and go home and whatever, you know, surrender. 
But they said, no, we're going to focus on the task at hand because this is what we can control. This is what we cannot control. You got to remember what you're true to yourself. And once you know what you're true to yourself and your values, you go fight for those values. So that's the last thing I want to leave the audience with, regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of what you're going through. Always remember there are things you can control and there are things you cannot control. Focus on things you can control and everything else. If you believe in God, hopefully God will take care of it. If you don't believe in God, destiny will take care of it. All right. Absolutely fascinating. I love the warrior mentality that you bring to the table. I love how you coordinate a lot of the things from your own uh, family history to today's United States military and definitely extremely fascinating. And that's why I wanted you on, on the show today. And I really appreciate your time and, and LT. Um, I'm looking forward to following you and, and furthermore into your journey. And um, as for the morning formation, thank you everyone out there listening. I hope that you're intrigued by this and please follow Lieutenant Singh on his social platforms as well. And reach out to him if you have any questions about anything. If you're at a spot in life where you're not sure if the military is for you or you're going through a hard time getting into the military, you know, listen to his story as, as a means of inspiration. Um, so as for the Morning Formation podcast with Avi and Lieutenant Singh, we're going to call it a show for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And we're out. You've been listening to the Morning Formation podcast. I hope you found today's materials helpful and of value to your current situation. You can connect with me on Instagram at the underscore morning underscore formation underscore podcast or you can connect with me via email at the formation podcaster at gmail.com also i would like to thank my partners at act now education for their support authenticity community and trusted is what you can expect from all members of the act now education team you can link up with them today and learn about some new free educational resources on their facebook Instagram, LinkedIn, or at their website, actnoweducation.com. Whether today's show took you back to a nostalgic time or helped you think about tomorrow, thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you again. Stay safe and stay motivated. Warriors, fall out.